Good morning. Uh, well, today I am uh, excited to be continuing this series that you all have begun on questions that Jesus asked. And I'm going to read the passage again in the New International Version uh, as it gives another kind of articulation of this scene that we will look at today. Um, so in the NIV, Matthew 8, 23 through 27 says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So in this series, The Church of the Cross, you all begin discussing questions that Jesus asked. And I think it's a great idea for a series because Jesus often asks questions instead of making statements. And he often in the scriptures responds to questions with questions. Uh, Who do men say that I am? He would ask. Uh, Where are your accusers? He would ask. Uh, do you want to be healed? Peter, do you love me? As we get to the question of the day, we actually need to set the scene. In this passage of scripture, we have Jesus getting into a boat and his disciples following him into the boat with confidence. These are men who are used to being on boats. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, was a fisherman and all of them had used uh, boats as a form of transportation on a consistent basis to go from one side of a lake to another, or one side of a sea to another. These are not people who need drama mean to be able to get across a body of water. So all of a sudden, while in the boat, the weather begins to change. A furious storm comes on the lake. Waves begin to sweep over the boat. And now this boat was likely not a carnival cruise ship. Uh, it probably wasn't even... A yacht. It was more like a larger canoe. Um, it would not take much water to fill the boat and cause the boat to capsize. So I want you to notice the contrast. The storm is standing up and Jesus is laying down. As the storm is waking, Jesus is sleeping. As their hearts are pacing, Jesus is at peace. Both were in a storm, but they were responding differently. How do you typically respond when you're in a storm. The reality of life teaches us that we are always either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into another storm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like life is full of storms. Uh, and as these waves are rising, the disciples decided to give Jesus a wake-up call by crying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. The disciples didn't ask questions. They made statements based on what they could see and based on their past experience. And from what they've seen and experienced, people who are on a boat where water is crashing in need to be saved or they will drown. And so in response to their statement, Jesus makes an observation and ultimately asks a question. The observation is, you of little faith. In this observation, we have good news and bad news. Which do you want first, the good news or the bad news? I like the good news first. So the good news is Jesus didn't say you of no faith. He says you have little faith, which means they have something to start with. 
They had believed enough to leave their jobs and follow him. They had believed enough to get into the boat. They had some faith, and they had an opportunity to grow their faith. This was not a weakness. This was an opportunity. And then he asked this question, why are you so afraid? I think he understands that some fear is natural in this situation. But his question is based on the key difference that any other time they've seen someone on a boat that was threatened by waves, Jesus wasn't on the boat. But in this situation, Jesus is on the boat. Now, at this point in Matthew's gospel, we've seen examples of Jesus being baptized and affirmed by God as his heavenly father, where he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's a pretty cool kind of declaration at your baptism. You know, when I got baptized, it was just like, he's cute. <laughs> but when Jesus got baptized, this voice from heaven comes out and says, this is my kid. And I am happy with him. I'm pleased with him. Jesus had already at this point fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Anybody ever done that before? Not I. I've done a week, uh, which as a child, I thought that was child abuse. It wasn't. It was just spiritual disciplines. But um, I've never done 40 days and 40 nights. He did 40 days, 40 nights, and then he overcame the temptation of the enemy afterwards. Jesus had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He had preached the most amazing sermon on the mount. So they're still getting to know him. He hasn't done this trick yet. So let me pause and ask this question based on their us down. How many of us have had the same fears? Am I going to die? Now, for some of us, physically, that has been a concern when we've suffered with cancer or kidney failure or heart issues. But for many of us, it's simply, am I, am I going to die without fulfilling my dreams? Am I going to die without pursuing my passions? Am I going to die and not accomplish my goals? The second question, can Jesus really save me? Can he really save me from these years of sin patterns? Can he save me from my scandalous past? Can he save me from myself? Thirdly, will Jesus let me down for the first time, if you're a new believer or a non-believer, for the second time, if you've been walking with him for a while, for the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time? Because Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations. And so when faced with these questions while in a storm, coming out of a storm or going into a storm, we have to make a choice. And the choice is this. We have to choose faith because that was the observation Jesus made in light of the question. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? His observation lets us know that faith is the proper response to fear. So we have to choose faith. So the question is, what is Faith. There is a book in the Bible called the book of Hebrews. It's kind of a book about faith. Uh, in chapter 11, the verse, verse, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The truth is we always have faith because we always believe in someone or something. The disciples were actually demonstrating faith in this storm, but in the wrong person or the wrong thing. If faith is being sure of what we hope for, then what we are willing to hope for is what we have our faith in. If I say, I hope I can live from check to check, my faith is in my ability to make ends meet. If faith is being confident of what we cannot see, then our confidence is in what we don't see but believe will happen anyway. I don't see this chair holding me up right now. 
But I'm confident that when and if I sit in it, it will hold me up. Otherwise, I would not sit in it. So I demonstrate faith very clearly right now when I sit in this chair. Has this chair ever held me up before? No, I've never sat in this chair. I've never I sat in that chair over there. And they look the same, but they are not the same. And so I put my confidence in this chair, even though I had never seen this chair hold me up before. For the disciples in this scenario, their hope was in what they feared, their death of drowning. Their confidence is in what they felt, a lack of care for Jesus. How could you be sleeping when we're about to die? And their faith was in the facts that they could see the wind, the waves coming over the boat. Now, I don't believe that faith is actually an absence of fear as much as it is the courage to trust God when we experience fear. Fear is a normal part of the human life. In Joshua 1 and 9, God told Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He said, why are you afraid? Because he figured with God with you, you don't have to be afraid. But fear was a normal part of taking over an entire community of people after their leader has died. In Isaiah 41 and 13, it says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. God is saying, I'm going to help you get through this storm. When we experience fear, we have to choose faith over three things. These are what I call the three F's. Can I say F's in church? The three F's. Okay, so the first one is we have to choose faith over fear. We have to choose faith over fear. We turn our hope for what God can do and our confidence in who God is instead of being plagued in our fear. I don't know if you understand this, but fear changes with experience. Children don't fear what they should because they haven't had the negative consequences to create fear. Children aren't afraid of heights the same way adults are because we know we can die. Children aren't afraid of roller coasters the same way adults do because we know man-made things can fail. My daughter will jump off of a couch with no consequence in, in mind until she hurts herself. And so our experiences have made us more fearful. Fear changes with experience. Uh, we trusted that things would get better and they didn't. So now when we're in a storm, we expect things to get worse. When God shows up in our situation, we learn to have faith in the midst of the storm. And we ride the roller coaster and we don't die. We jump on it again and we say, wow, this is an opportunity for an exhilarating experience. Anybody ever been scared getting on a roller coaster for the very first time? I mean, you're just terrified. When you see the drops, you hear the screams. But once you've done it once and you know you won't die, you get on a second time. You will wait in line for an hour to ride the same scary experience that is now exhilarating. With Jesus being asleep on the boat, that was an indicator that they didn't have to fear. So the question is, are we choosing faith over fear? The second choice we have to make is to choose faith over our feelings. When we turn our hope to what God can do and our confidence in who God is, instead of being paralyzed by our feelings, we can choose faith over feelings. Feelings change like the weather in Texas. If you don't like it, just wait a minute. 
I mean, our feelings are all over the place. Feelings are fickle. They cannot be trusted. God is faithful. God is consistent. So we have to choose to have faith in God instead of being paralyzed and reactive based on our feelings. Jesus was at peace in the boat, which was an indicator that the disciples didn't have to fret. Are we choosing faith over our feelings? Thirdly, we have to choose faith over facts. Now, for my analytical people, this might be hard for you to understand. We turn our hope to what God can do and our confidence in who God is instead of being consumed with what we see. I tell my friends all the time, I don't want to live by faith. I want to live by sight. I want to be able to see what's going to happen, know it's going to happen, and be confident that it's going to happen. But that is not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is we have to trust what we cannot see. Facts can often be the enemy of faith because they often limit our ability to experience all of who Jesus is. The fact that the winds and the waves are an obstacle to the disciples was the complete opposite of the reality that the winds and the waves are an opportunity for Jesus to show who he can be, that he can speak to the winds and the waves that cause them to be still. The reality is we don't want to be in a situation where the superhero Jesus has to use his superpowers. We would rather be in a situation where we don't need his superpowers because at that point we don't need to be rescued. We're in control. So the picture the disciples saw was based in the facts of the weather. When the faith they needed would be based in the real weather man. That's Jesus, yeah. The master meteorologist who made the wind and the waves can be trusted when we cannot trace him. Now here's what I want you to understand. Jesus wants to show us how amazing he is. But the only way he can do that is when we get in situations where he has to show us how amazing he is. And so we have to allow ourselves to be placed in situations where he can trump our facts with faith. The facts say I'm sick, but faith says by his stripes I am healed. The facts say I'm broke, but faith says God supplies all of my needs according to his rich, riches and glory. The facts say I'm not good enough, but faith says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that is at work in me. Facts are based on the world. Faith is based on his word. I'll say it again. Facts are based on the world. Faith is based on God's word. Jesus didn't calm the storm with his physical strength. He did it with a word. Romans 10 and 17 says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 12 and 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more we allow God's word to saturate our hearts, the more we're able to fight fear with faith. Why am I focusing on faith so much when the question Jesus asked was about fear? Because faith in God through Jesus is the ultimate goal of our relationship with him. God wants us to know him and to trust him. In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying as he's preparing to die and go to heaven. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, 
whom you've sent. Now, the reality is many of us are waiting to go to heaven to experience eternal life. But Jesus is saying eternal life is available starting here on earth when we get to know who God is. And we get to know who Jesus Christ is when we get that knowledge of who he is. And this knowledge in the Greek is not a knowledge of knowing of someone, but it's a knowledge of knowing someone intimately. It's a Greek word, gnosko, which means to know from the inside out. It's the same word that's used for the intimacy between a husband and a wife. I won't get descriptive because that's what I do for a living, but that's intimacy. God says, I want you to know me like that. And when we know him like that, When we get in a storm, we can sleep. When the world around us is precarious, we can be at peace. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In the end, God wants to know we can trust him. And he wants us to know we can trust him. If my daughter looks at me in fear, I get frustrated because I'm like, why would you even be scared of me? After all I've done for you, this house that I've allowed you to live in, this room that you have, that echo dot I just bought to tell you to wake up in the morning (laughs) and to get dressed and to brush your teeth and wash your face, all the clothes you're wearing and all the food you eat, why would you not trust that I can take care of you? So when we're afraid, that Jesus might not come through, we have to choose to respond with faith over fear. And that's a choice. Will I let my fear be more powerful than my belief in God and who he is? We have to choose faith over our feelings. We have to choose faith over facts. Now, here's the problem. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he will do. So when I have faith, I believe that God is who he says he is. He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's all out of bag of chips with dip on the side. That's God, right? So I have to believe what I cannot see. I have to believe what I've never seen. And then I have to believe what I may not see. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that many of those who were in the hall of faith died waiting on the promise from God. So my faith has to say, even if I don't see it in my lifetime, he's capable of it. Even if I don't see it in my span of experience on this job, even if I don't see it in my marriage, even if I don't see it in my children, even if I don't see it in my family, now he is capable of it. That's faith. The problem with faith is, unlike staples, there is no easy button to push. It's developed like muscles. I don't work out as much as I used to, as you can tell. But in my former life, I used to run cross-country and track. And uh, the long-distance races were my skill set. The longer the race, the better I got. First mile to me was a sprint. But my belief was, if we keep running, you're going to get tired. And because I ran 45 miles a week in practice, three miles wasn't hard for me. But I didn't start off running 45 miles a week. I started off getting dropped out of town by my coach, and he said, run back to the high school. (laughs) 
But the more I ran, the easier it became. And over time, running became natural for me. What am I trying to say? In your first storm in life, you will probably say, Lord, save me. I'm about to drown. In your second storm in life, you'll probably say, Lord, save me. I might drown. By the time you start getting to the third, the fourth, the fifth storm in life, you just wait on Jesus to wake up and say, peace, be still. Why? Because the professor is always quietest during the test. He wants to see, do you get what I've said? Do you understand what I've spoken to you? In Mark 4, we see the example of Jesus telling the uh, parable of the sower. And he lays out all these different seeds and all these different soils. And then we see this story of them going across the lake and them getting scared. And he's trying to say, this is a test to see, did you get what I was trying to teach you? And when I was in college, I used to dress up for tests. I would wear a suit and a tie because all day people would compliment me about how I looked, which would increase my endorphins and help me feel confident in going into the test. Over time, people knew when I was dressed up, there was a test coming, you know? So they were like, hey, good luck on your test. Good luck on your test. Good luck on your test. I didn't look at tests as a problem. I looked at tests as an opportunity because they were gonna help me know what I had learned. And here's the problem. Oftentimes when we go into our test in life, we're thinking, I might fail, but you can't fail if you keep learning. So your last storm might have been a disaster, but the next storm you come up to, I want you to tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, hey Jesus, we're in this boat together. Will you wake up and save me? And trust that you can have faith instead of being afraid, that you can have faith instead of relying on your feelings, that you can have faith even when the facts don't make sense. I'm going to share this story, and then I'm going to be done. My wife and I were on staff at a large church and ended our time working there. We weren't working at the time, didn't have a job. We're living in a home we had rented out to someone else, didn't really have money or food. And one day, we were really, really hungry, and uh, we didn't know how we were going to eat. I know that sounds weird in the 21st century in America, but it happens a lot. And all of a sudden, as we got through praying and spiritually complaining, we get a knock on the door. Our neighbor said, I made too much soup. And I figured you guys might want some. In that moment, God is saying, your job is not your source. I'm your source. I can provide your daily bread. The problem is we don't want daily bread. We want weekly bread. We want monthly bread. We want annual bread. We want a 401k that will provide for us until we die. That's the American way. But the biblical way is, God, I trust you for what I need today. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'll have what I need tomorrow. So I'm going to pray for us today because fear is a real challenge in our lives today because of how we've been programmed to think about challenges. 
But I'm going to pray that God will give us as believers the ability to tap into the faith he wants to give us. God, we acknowledge that fear is a part of the fall, um, that prior to sin coming into the world, Adam and Eve had nothing to fear. But once they discovered their humanity and once they realized they were not you, they began to experience the normality of fear, fear of failure, fear of death, fear of success, fear of jealousy, fear of anger, fear of fear. So God, we want to place our fears before you today and ask that you would give us the faith to trust you in the midst of what we're feeling, in the midst of what we see, in the midst of what we've experienced in the past. Would you reorient our minds against what we've only experienced to trust what you are capable of? And God, ultimately we know that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. So would you be glorified in our lives as we walk in faith and overcome fear to the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.